Hello, everyone, and welcome to the half of this podcast, no longer called the Dwell Entire Podcast, and I have a good reason for that, to which I will explain right here, right now. And I feel a bit embarrassed by this because I very much talked about and stated back in the last episode last week on Friday that I would not change the name Dwell and Tiger for reasons that it is a purposeful name. It has meaning,、uh, what little history it has as well. But overall, I would just not change the name. But here I am in the following episode, explaining to you and everyone, and probably myself, why I'm changing the name from Dwell and Tiger to the half of this. And I do have a great reason, and it is a purposeful reason, very genuinely purposeful. And that is because I just don't think the name Dwell and Tiger is as representative as the half of this, with the content and the type of topics I want to bring to the table with this podcast. And this was brought up to my attention because when I was talking to a friend of mine who also does her own podcast along with two other friends, which is called Subtle Asian Talks. Go check them out. They are very relatable. Asian American college females exploring their twenties. Very relatable. I like their format and the structure of it. Also, Subtle Asian Talks, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, you name it. Just go check them out. But nonetheless, she was talking about how they're preparing for their season two of the podcast and even having some guests on. And that kind of brought to my attention of just how serious was I taking my podcast on. And then that got me thinking. Well, in the beginning of it all, was I taking this podcast seriously? And it wasn't like I wasn't putting any effort or work into my episodes earlier on, but just how serious was I about doing this podcast? And I really knew for sure, due to having some early onset yet strong imposter syndrome, like just thinking and believing. No one is going to listen to me. Why would anyone listen to me? Like the stuff I'm going to say probably has no value, despite it being as objective, subjective, or personal as it can be. Just why, why, why would anyone listen to me? Like I'm just being a poser, and I was afraid of that actually. So fearful that if anyone I knew or just anyone in general kind of pointed out that I'm saying bullshit stuff, I'm just like any other podcast or any other influencer, and that. I'm just being a poser. I'm trying to get that podcast clout. I'm just trying to do it for the money, the followers, all that jazz. I was afraid of being pointed that out because I wasn't trying to be that. Of course, I'm not trying to be. I don't think anyone really is, with exceptions of a few of them, right? Whoever they are, good for them, right? That's their purpose. But that wasn't who I am, and I'm always fearful of being pointed out and labeled as the person I'm always striving to not be. And because of that fear, I just downplayed myself and my approach to all of this podcasting stuff, so that if I was kind of like the small guy in this whole podcasting field, people can overlook me, and people then will not be able to, or just probably wouldn't care, of pointing out that I'm a poser or I'm just an imposter in this podcasting world. Because of that, I just chose the name Dwell and Tiger out of. Kind of out of a whim because I thought that half of this was too seemed like I was doing too much with the podcast, as if like a friend would tell me like, "Joe, your name for the podcast is the half of this." Like, doesn't that seem like you're trying too much? Like, are you really trying to take this seriously? Like, what are you trying to do? Become an influencer, right? It's I was just scared of that, so I just thought the name Dwell and Tiger was sillier to the point where it just it was silly. 
right? Very playful. And you don't, I feel like you don't really have to question playful things. And I was comfortable with that thought. But then again, with the talk with my friend who does her own podcast with these two other women, it just got me thinking like, how serious was I taking this podcast? And do I want to take this podcast as serious as I probably want to? And then I started to think about my episode seven, where I made a resolution for expanding this podcast to the point where I want to reach out to as many people as I can, not for the money, right? Not for followers, not for the clout, whatever. Maybe is there podcast clout? I feel like there is like a lot of YouTubers are doing their own podcast. So maybe there is some clout here and there, but that's not the motivation here, at least with myself. And the reason is, like I mentioned before, I never had these kind of resources where I can hear people talk about their experiences or be vulnerable with their listeners or their audiences. I just want to provide that sort of content and topics for you guys or for y'all so that you don't have to feel lonely in all of this, right? I That's what I felt like back then. And I don't want you to feel that way too. anyone. Just I want everyone to have a more fulfilling, more positive filled life so that there's no regrets. There's this one song called My Way by Frank Sinatra or he sung it. And I'm not too sure who the actual writer is. I think there's some actually some history there. But besides that point, that song talks about not having regrets and living your life your way. But don't let all this other bullshit in your life obstacles hold you back. Like with imposter syndrome, that held me back on the podcast. And I realized that later and I wish I had done it sooner. But luckily, it's only been a little over a month since I began this podcasting endeavor. And I made the decision to change the name for the good and for the better of this podcast in its future potential, right? Whatever that may hold. I still don't know what it's going to hold, but I'm, I'm excited to find out. I'm excited to explore this. So yeah, this imposter syndrome, it held me back greatly, but not to a significant degree because like I said, it's only been a little over a month since I've started this podcasting endeavor. So luckily I was able to catch on and realize that I want to seriously put in some honest work here and expand the podcast and expand my listenership. Now, if you don't know what imposter syndrome is, it's essentially the feeling of being a phony and you have a need to live up to a certain image. And because you're trying to live up to the certain image or trying to work towards becoming someone who you think people want you to become or need you to become, you are fearful of being exposed as this person who's just trying hard to be someone they're not. And ooh, do I feel that so closely to my heart? <laughs> As cheesy as that sounds, it is something I feel like a lot of people experience and go through through their own respective fields or even just in various aspects of life. And one thing I also want to point out is that imposter syndrome is not necessarily associated or directly tied in with other sort of like mental health issues like depression, loneliness, and let's say even social anxiety disorder. These are other comorbidities that are tagging along with it in a sense like you know imposter syndrome is a person and these other feelings like depression social anxiety disorder they're its friends and they're going to tag along and it's not good right for you at least it's like these people coming into your house and just like making a mess of anything just having their own kind of uh nasty kind of party it's not good 
But yeah, that's what pretty much imposter syndrome is. And it affects so many different types of people. And I would say that some people would argue that certain groups or communities experience this or that it's more prevalent within. But in the end of it all, I feel like it's just very prevalent in all fields, especially with fields or variables that we cannot really control all too much, like with our gender, with our age with our ethnicity, the uh, color of our skin. You can't really change that. And although those are just natural, just things in life, like there's no real need for me to explain that. We have this imposter syndrome stemming from those, right? Or something maybe even deeper that is tied in with those unchangeable characteristics of ourselves. But that's also because of society and just how everyone else and other issues tie in as well right it's a whole complex mess i can understand how maybe for myself at least the happy experience right the happy struggles that i experience as being white korean i am a part of this kind of underrepresented group because you don't hear too much about halfies or mixed race individuals or in their struggles you don't hear about them and i always felt that there's no one whom i could go to to seek out some knowledge or relatability at least so that I can feel comfortable with my own skin or in a sense my own two skins that sounds kind of creepy actually but you get the point I hope and nonetheless if you actually want to learn more about the associations of imposter syndrome with other comorbidities like depression loneliness and social anxiety disorder and just kind of seeing how this affects very niche or certain groups of people there's actually a research article called prevalence predictors and treatment of imposter syndrome a systematic review this is like a research journal but it's a peer review not a hardcore primary research journal so go check it out uh if you're very much into the data the statistics like a very thorough article and nonetheless i liked it a lot it provided me some context and uh, some deeper insight relative to some like those articles you can find on the interwebs. But again, prevalence, predictors, and treatment of imposter syndrome, a systematic review. I'll actually put a link in the description for this episode so that you know how to look up the name itself. But yeah, it's the article shows and what I learned, it just affects so many types of people. Like you can even go into the specifics like men who are in college men who are in this career field or women who are in college and women in this career field and then you can even say women in college who are this ethnicity or men in the work this particular work area who are this ethnicity is so prevalent even within just seemingly niche and minority groups in a sense it's it's very real with everyone so to say that other people's imposter syndrome is not as justified or valid as another group's imposter syndrome for example it's I don't, that does not do anyone justice like except that everyone can have this regardless of their situation maybe it seems like one group is experiencing a bit of a worser situation than the other but nonetheless we're all experiencing it so it's okay don't don't think that yours is not valid also because Maybe you feel like you, you've seen and heard other people talk about imposter syndrome and you're like, ah, 
I don't think what I have is probably as bad as these other people who are experiencing what seems like the same thing. So I won't talk about it. And that's a big issue. And I think that in of itself, just the fact of that you're not talking about the stuff you're dealing with because you're invalidating yourself. I feel like that is such a big issue in just with mental health in general, because you feel like you're not as in a worse state or in a, a bad situation as probably other people are. And it is a sensitive topic, right? Because you don't want to talk about your situation and feel like you're downplaying another person. It's like, oh, like mine is worse because I had this kind of childhood and oh, because of X, Y, and Z, this is like such a crippling feeling I have. I totally understand that. I am very much in that boat and still experience that because I feel like always I can live with and live through, like in a sense, suck it up with all the mental health issues I experience. And this includes imposter syndrome. And again, this is a big problem with everyone who thinks the same way. And I mean, this is imposter syndrome in of itself, where you think that the things you are experiencing are not real and that you feel like if you do begin to think about them and do begin to express yourself regarding these mental health issues or in this case imposter syndrome, you feel like a phony, like you don't deserve to do talk about this because you feel like you're fake, like you're just playing it up for yourself. You're just playing up the fact that you maybe have this imposter syndrome oh, or some other mental health, oh, right? It's It sucks to feel that way. and. I totally get it that you can feel personally, like you truly believe that, oh, it's not as bad. Like you really believe that as if you believe the sky is blue. Hey, it's a fact. And it's hard to break out of that, which is what I think regarding imposter syndrome is it's a habit. Imposter syndrome is not something that tells you that you're a broken machine that is unfixable or you're some beta version of a person you're not it's like a habit where your a wrench is thrown into your gears and all you really have to do is try to try like really hard pull the wrench out but it's just really stuck in there and like with any habits you just have to learn to break out of them and with even some like worser habits like just something that's like really prevalent and just really stuck with you it takes time and also baby incremental steps in order to break out of it. And that's why I think people have to do with imposter syndrome in order to cope with it, in order to resolve it and handle it ultimately. And there's various ways to do that. And, you know, you people just have to find their own ways with that. But there's some general tips, I guess, that can go along with that. Like you just have to begin talking to people, right? Talk to people, express the imposter syndrome that you feel so that you personally don't feel as bad about it as if you just kept it bottled up inside yourself because when you talk to people you may broaden your perspective on yourself because before you were just very fine focused on this imposter syndrome or the aspect of your life that is being affected by imposter syndrome where you feel phony or you, you feel a strong need to live up to a certain image and Instead, when you talk it out, then you can probably expand your image or that perspective of that part of your life and think, oh, actually, I am this person. Like, I am like this a successful person or 
whatever the field may be in your life. You can just talk it out with someone, which I heavily suggest. I've done it before, and it's literally one of the biggest things that's helped me so much. Like I can do all the speculation on my own. I can do all the self-reflecting and the thinking, and even imagine like I'm talking to someone else with myself. Like as crazy as that sounds, I've done it before, and it doesn't help as much as talking to someone. Just talk to someone. Maybe just talk to some online forum. Just get to know some people and talk it out. And there's definitely. A number of other ways to either resolve the imposter syndrome that you're feeling, or work with it. In my case, I mean, I immediately think about my athletic career, where, or well, let me explain this first. There's these five types of imposter syndrome, which actually helped me provide a more clear image of just my situation itself. And those five are one, the perfectionist, right? You feel like you need to perfect everything to. The smallest detail, and if it's not met, then you feel like a failure. Number two, the superhero—you just feel like you have to go up and beyond with a lot of things, pretty much. Number three, the expert—you just feel like you need to learn more, and you just need to become this, yeah, expert, right? Otherwise, you feel like a phony. Number four, the natural genius—if you don't feel like you are succeeding easily, like things don't come to you easily. Then you feel like a failure. So, hence the natural genius, and number five, the soloist, where you feel like you need to just do things by yourself alone, and that if you do ask for help, that is a sign that you are a phony or that you are a fraud in this field that you are being a soloist at. In regards to my athletic career, I was definitely the superhero and perfectionist, and. Before I go into that real quick, don't think that whole five types are definitely applying to that specific situation that you're dealing with or that you are thinking about. Because when I was reading these five types, I just automatically thought, "Oh my goodness! Like, oh, five applied to my, let's say, athletic career." It's, but that's not really the case. I mean, you can always nitpick, but with practice, right? Just practice this right here, right now, or at your own time. Take a step back. And just really reflect and think. Okay, which of these types really apply to my situation? And if you can narrow it down to, let's say, two or even one, that can provide a lot of clarity for your own situation. And then maybe it can provide some insight and deeper context as to how to better understand the situation and move on with it. Right? Either resolving it or working with the imposter syndrome, which is what I did with my athletics career as a superhero. And perfectionist type, and this kind of feels like a personality test. Like, oh, I'm the superhero and perfectionist type. Anyways, like with my athletic career, I always felt intimidated by all the athletes, and this also stems from just when I was in cross country back in high school. Because initially, I just joined cross country to lose weight, but to also definitely also. Live up to the image that these popular kids, these like guys who get the girls and who are the social types, they all do sports. So I'll do a sport that I think I can do, cross country. But that's kind of like not the sport to pick because none of the cool guys. Well, there were some cool guys in there. All the guys were cool. All the everyone was cool. I'll say that. But you get what I mean. It's not like the popular sport, like football, basketball, and such. It's not the popular sport. 
but I picked Netherlands because I thought, okay, I just probably just need to pick one sport, and then I can become the person I want to be—this popular person, this more social person. And when I entered college, with this newfound passion that I developed over my high school career with cross country for athletics and fitness overall. I just wanted to join a sports club, and the first club I encountered was the triathlon club, and I thought it was super cool. I was super excited, and just like probably any other freshman, I was like, "Yeah, new year! Like I'm a college student. Like I'm I'm going to change myself. I'm going to become better. I'm going to become this person I always wanted to become." And then when I attended some of the training practices, oh man, I feel so intimidated by so many of the athletes. Like. Everyone, pretty much, because one, everyone was very social with one another, and that was not me. Like I was still very socially awkward and shy. Just I felt socially incompetent. But even more so, when I saw them as an athlete, I was like, "Oh wait, why am I here again? Like I am not an athlete. Like this, I'm going to hold them back, or I'm going to like be a stain to the whole team image. Like I." I can't be here, and I just felt that pressure of like I'm a phony, I'm a phony, I'm not an athlete, I'm not an athlete. These people are athletes. I just constantly felt that pressure in my head throughout that first quarter of joining the team. But then the pressure got to me, and I eventually left. And y'all already know if you listen to my other episodes, I joined back around my、uh, senior year, around like the last quarter of it, and I realized like. Stupid! I was like, I, this joining the team was the best thing I have ever done, and I should have done it back in freshman year. But again, with the imposter syndrome and that fear of one, just being intimidated by the other athletes, because I felt like I wasn't an athlete, and then two, feeling the need to live up to this image of what I thought was an athlete, right? Just someone who's super fast, super. Like good at the the sports that we're doing, running, swimming, cycling, and I just thought that these guys also like had these athletic bodies, like these bods, <laughs> and again, this is kind of building into like this is what I thought an athlete was. So there was some like kind of male influence where like, oh, there's so many of these competitive guys, and I want to be competitive too, but、uh, they're gonna look at me as if I'm just. A puny kid, like I'm just no one. I'm just nothing to them, and I just had that feeling. And again, is that was part of pressure as well. Again, because I saw these guys and the women as well as these just super athletes, I tried to be the superhero and go up and beyond with my training. Pretty much, I pushed myself hard in every training session. And I always thought I had to push myself hard, otherwise, like I'm not going to be the athlete I want to be, or being on the same level as these other team members. And I always felt like I need to push hard in order to just be an athlete, because that's what athletes do. They push hard at training sessions. They just go and give their all during these sessions. And one thing that actually led to was getting injuries, which was not fun. I oh. Yeah, I mean, I pushed myself way too hard. Like I went above my athletic capabilities, especially with running, and ooh, that just it killed me. Like injuries are no fun. If you're an athlete, you know what I mean. Like if you get those shin splits, the plantar fasciitis, I never got that, but it sucks nonetheless. Like you have to just wait it out, pretty much. You have to really 
downgrade your training sessions and you feel like this itch to like get at it again but you can't you have to wait maybe like a month or two and you feel like you're making you're just regressing right you're not making progress you're not progressing you're regressing and oh it sucks uh, and i'm again i'm sure you understand that whether or not you're an athlete like in your own respective field where something holds you back due to some unfortunate situation like an injury or such but yeah that was what's happening with me with being a superhero just feeling the need of going up and beyond the expectations because i felt like those higher expectations were the norm the standard so i was like oh gotta push myself and then with being the perfectionist i was so obsessive with the numbers like with running times swimming times cycling times and even with my nutrition as an athlete and that's just just drains you it's just so drains you and it, it makes your relationship with certain things like with food just unhealthy because with nutrition especially i was so carbohydrate or was it carbophobic yeah carbophobic like i had a fear of carbs because i was always the chubby kid back then and i carried that kind of into college because i just wanted to lose more body fat so i can become a better athlete so i can run faster and stronger or you know do the tr sport triathlon better but with nutrition i was just always on the dot with my macronutrient intake with the protein intake carbohydrate fats and i would do all this research like all the scientific research read all those science journals about nutrition and how to have a proper uh, i guess meal plan in order to take up the micronutrients the macronutrients and even the types of macronutrients right it's it's getting insanely just difficult and complex and just so overwhelming with the information maybe not to some people and i actually enjoy this kind of stuff but at the time it was very overwhelming for me and i just did not like food anymore and i like i said became carbophobic like i just need to eat veggies and lean, uh, lean meats for the most part of course with some grains and fruits here and there but i was just so carbophobic because i didn't want to lose or i didn't want to gain fat that was the whole purpose and i had an unhealthy relationship with food and sometimes i would binge eat like because i was so 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 craving like something sweet or savory and something i actually want to talk about in the future episode with you know mental health and relationship with food and body image as being an athlete yeah i just experienced it all it was very detrimental to my overall well-being in my opinion but yeah that, that was just how i felt like with being an athlete just and being intimidated by everyone and just never feeling like an athlete even when i joined later in my senior year i just never felt like i was an athlete still because no matter if i felt fine and comfortable with the amount of training i'm doing with the foods i'm eating and everything like that i'm still kind of like a perfectionist with the times and all that because i want to see okay i need to maintain this certain pace right for this certain amount of miles like if i i feel like if i don't if i go let's say above that like if i become a little bit slower like let's say you i'm trying to run a 630 per mile pace and if i go 640 i'll feel really bad about that but i know i won't beat myself over it. it's just me being an athlete like i want to just do my best during these training sessions and maybe that fact that i went 640 and not 630 tells me something like maybe i was just tired that day maybe something's wrong who knows but i still felt like i was an athlete and the imposter syndrome with athletics is still lingering a little bit but it's not as prevalent anymore because i've 
learn to just accept a lot of the stuff that I'm experiencing and to at least recognize and be cognizant that you are doing this stuff because of your own efforts and skills. You don't have to be super proud. You don't have to be super happy for yourself. You can just like, yeah, this is, I got this. Yeah, like I know I did this. Do that for yourself, right? Again, I'm not trying to set these expectations like some people would do when they talk about imposter syndrome. Like, be super happy for yourself. Be super proudful. Like, you don't have to be. Again, it's the baby incremental steps, right? Progressive steps. Just at least recognize that you did this, whatever it is. You made this progress. You had this accomplishment because of your own work and skills. And that's what I try to apply with athletics. Like, every time I got a new running time, like a new PR, I said, yeah, I know I worked hard. And the result, I got a new PR. And I would move on. Like, I wouldn't really celebrate it. Let alone, like, oh, when I receive compliments, sometimes I'm like, oh, like, it's not me. That's not me. Like, oh, no, they're going to point me out. Like, now I have to live up to what they think of me. <laughs> but it's always a journey still. Like, I'm still coping with compliments. Like, compliments are something I'm always, I feel like, never going to truly uh, get comfortable with. And yeah, it's, just, it's hard to do that. Maybe you can relate to me as well. Another area of my life that imposter syndrome was super prevalent in was my research career as an undergraduate. Because, oh man, you're in the presence of all of these smarties, right? These people, like even some students who are part of the same lab as you, you are just thinking like this kid, this person who's like the same age as me, is putting in how many hours of work in the lab? How much do they know about the research? Like, you know about this experiment? Like, what? You are such a genius, a natural genius. And that's what happened with me. So in regards to my research career, I just had an experience that natural genius type of imposter syndrome, as well as the expert. Again, I'm in the presence of all these smart people, these postdocs, lab techs, uh, the specialists, um, the principal investigator, aka the PI, the, I mean, the, your fellow colleagues or your peers, like who are also undergraduate lab assistants and what have you. You feel like they're just so smarter than you and you feel inadequate in that sense. So because of that, you feel the need to constantly learn. And I felt like I needed to learn about all of the experiments, even if it doesn't truly reflect the kind of research we do like i feel like i just need to learn all the science i need to read all the science journals i need to know everything like me as an undergraduate i feel like in a sense i needed to work as hard and know as much as maybe a graduate student and that's insane that's so just plain dumb there's so much expectation there's so much pressure but i felt that nonetheless and sometimes that pressure, whatever case you're feeling that in, you it can be somewhat beneficial, right? It depends on how you're handling the imposter syndrome, at least the feeling of being a phony and just feeling the need to live up to this image that you're setting yourself for. You can utilize the imposter syndrome kind of mindset and think, this is the person I want to become. And then sometimes you have to reflect, is this truly the person that I want to become? Or do I just feel some kind of need to become this person, not because of my own personal reasons? And if you do decide like, yeah, this is the person I want to become, then you can recognize, at least recognize, like I mentioned earlier, the success you make, the progress that you've done, just 
all of that good stuff, at least recognize it and be aware and cognizant that this is because of your own efforts and your own skills. And that's what I had to do with research. Like I was thinking, okay, I am actually fine with learning as much as I can and trying to learn constantly because I enjoy research and I know that this is going to be beneficial for my career. So I won't feel a need or some kind of expectations that's just imaginarily just placed on to me from my PI and others to become the super student, right? To become the expert in these experiences because it's unrealistic. It's not expected of you. I, I'm a novice. I'm very much a novice. And it's expected that I'm just trying to learn, right? Everyone's learning. Everyone, even the PI has been in my shoes where they probably felt the same way or they weren't the experts when they were beginning. Like, like yeah, it's so obvious. Of course, they weren't the expert when they were just beginning this venture of theirs. And that's what I had to do, just shift my perspective and be cognizant of the success I've made, like with the small wins, like with experiments working out, I would very much sometimes celebrate because the experiments, if you do, if you do research, if you've done like a Western blots or anything like those, um, you know, running a gel essentially, like with PCR gels, you can definitely feel the the winds of having those clean bands. Ooh, no streaks, nothing running down or just no blurs, just a, those clean bands. Oh, I took a picture of it one time of PCR gel for one of my biggest projects that I've worked on and I was given a lot of responsibility for. Like I was pretty much trying to work on it by myself. And oh, it felt so good to get these clean PCR bands. Like I'm repeating myself because I just, I'm recalling back to that moment. And I was so excited and I'm right now I feel so happy. So you have to do that too. If you feel happy about something, recognize it and then be happy about it. Celebrate it. Like do something about it if you want to, or just tell it to someone else. It's cause it's, you gotta do that. It's a practice. Again, imposter syndrome is a habit that takes up in many forms, like with the superhero type, with the perfectionist type, the soloist and the other uh, three or other two. You just have to practice this habit of recognizing your own success, your own progress, and then eventually maybe you can become happier and happier and happier about these things. And then you don't feel so much of a phony. And then you can say you do have self-worth, like you do have the skills and the knowledge. Oh, that really made me like think the PCR gels and those clean bands, even with other experiments with my Western blots, if you know what that is. It's if you don't know what this is, I'm sorry for the jargon and the throwing those out there. But nonetheless, like I essentially had so much success in some of the experiments, like really good success. And it made me reaffirm like, oh, wait, I did this by my own. And even though I did this by trial and error and just had to redo the experiments over and over again, sometimes these are just hours long experiments. Uh, Western blots, at least the, my lab's protocol for that, is a two day experiment. Oh my goodness, how many times did I repeat that? Uh, more than enough for me to uh, just punch my head and believe, is this real life? Is this a dream? <laughs> when I had those wins, I just had to practice. I am this person, I am a good researcher. And even though I'm a novice, I am making progress because when I look back on myself from when I began, I feel super comfortable now with research. Like I feel like I'm able to learn on my own with certain things, right? Not all things, of course, but I feel like I'm able to fly on my own and do the practice with myself. And then if I need help, I'm okay with asking help. 
And actually going off of that, I feel like in a lot of parts of my life, I don't feel like I'm ever the soloist type because I recognize my own faults and weaknesses and I'm very comfortable with asking for help. I mean, it's totally normal to do that and I don't want to cause mistakes if I don't ask for help. But there's a lot of times, especially in research, right? Because I feel like everyone has to be that natural genius and I feel like I definitely need to be that natural genius. I feel like part of that is you don't ask for help unless you truly, truly need it. Like as if you're like hanging from a bridge and the the bridge is about to break like in five seconds. Like that's when you just need to ask for help. And this was prevalent in when I was doing experiments. Like when I didn't know how to do an experiment or I needed to troubleshoot, you know, what went wrong with this experiment. I wouldn't ask for help, but instead I would just Google everything. And then I would go to ResearchGate, which is like Yahoo Answers or Quora for research questions, essentially. I would do all this kind of troubleshooting on my own. And then sometimes I would learn a lot. Like I would spend so much freaking time on learning about this stuff, which is good. Like I'm learning, right? It's not bad, but I could have saved so much time when I asked my postdoc, for example, because when I did that before, Oh, this just took her like a couple of minutes. This just cut a couple of minutes. And I spent like literally over an hour just doing my own research on Google, trying to troubleshoot what happened. And if I had just asked her and had this problem done in like five to 10 minutes, I could have spent the remaining hour just doing the research or doing the experiment again. Oh man, like I, sometimes you also have to realize just some of the faults of your own, like embrace those faults of yours, embrace the weaknesses and accept them. And then just know you can learn from it. You can learn and grow from it so that those faults, those weaknesses become stronger and stronger and stronger to the point where it's like, I don't got any faults and weaknesses. I'm a perfect dude or gal, right? It's just you, you decide that. And then you have to do it for yourself. And that's what I had to do with myself for research, at least. And now I've become better. I've become more comfortable with being around these smarter people. And they are smart. Even the people around my age, I, they are definitely smart. And I always feel like they're smarter than me. But I don't feel the pressure or the, like, the total need to become this super genius. I just never don't feel that anymore, which is good. And to provide context on that, the... The beginning of me starting to understand that I am the scientist that is smart, that is working hard, and that is overall deserving of the successes and the praises that sometimes I do receive. That was when I was given a very big project, um, or along with my partner as well, but they were not really all so much involved because they were a senior and they were handling their own priorities outside of the lab. And I, I totally understand that. But for the most part, I was on my own. And our PI gave us this huge responsibility to work on this project because she trusted us. And because of that trust, in the beginning, at least, I was like, ooh, like I need to be the super scientist like I need to be like I need to have my PhD right now and then I could you know make my PI proud and everyone else proud <laughs> so or just at least not fail their expectations and then I don't want oh I was so scared that my PI would kind of see me as someone who was inadequate like oh I gave you this project but I guess you're not adequate or competent enough Joey so let's do another project like if I I've always anticipated that for some reason like even though it was so irrational, like I knew it was never going to come. Like she was never going to call me into her office and say, 
Joey, there's something wrong. And then she points out me, <laughs> right? I'm the person who's wrong. I was so scared of that. It's kind of like when you receive mail, for, at least for me, like when I receive mail, I always think, oh, it's some official trying to tell me like I'm a fraud and pointing out that I'm a fraud and that they're going to take things away or they're going to punish me for becoming this imposter. And in the end, it's just another jury summons <laughs> or something to do with a policy change in my medical insurance. So it was never something like, like, like that for the most part. It was, again, irrational. But with this project I was given, I was in charge essentially with from beginning to end. And I never got to complete it because of family reasons, but I just worked so hard on this. Like I was wanting to use this project as a means to prove to myself like, okay, I'm going to learn all the experiments. I'm going to really learn and grow as a scientist. And that's what I will focus on. And that's another thing that can help you with your imposter syndrome or the type of imposter syndrome that you're experiencing in whatever field of life that you are, uh, wherever this is prevalent in for the most part. You just have to not focus so much on the, the expectations and the needs. Just know that, okay, you, are, you don't want to make mistakes, right? You don't want to just cause a muck up and just cause distress and financial setbacks and whatever like else that's bad for your lab for your pi for anyone else in your in your place maybe in particularly in a workspace as well you want to do your best and you need to focus on that you just need to focus on the goal itself and for yourself just think i need to become and uh, the person i need to become in order to do this goal for me to feel satisfied but also think there's no expectations. There's no pressure. All right. Just don't focus on that because when you begin to think I need to become this, let's say smarter work and, you know, harder working person, that's good. But then with those expectations and the pressure that you place on yourself, that you think people are already thinking of you, that will add on more pressure and that will cause you to work harder and burn out. And I've done that. There's many times that I've mentioned before in the episode seven of my New Year's resolutions about just working on myself with self-care. I would go to the lab at 11 p.m. and get out at 2 a.m. because it was a Friday night. I had no friends to go out with. So I would say, like, why not go to the lab? Because I need to get this project done. I need to, like, hurry up with this project. So I would just go to my lab, 11 p.m., do my experiments, and then get out. And I liked it in a sense. It was okay with me because I do like to work alone and I felt that with no one in the lab because it was just by myself. And I was also given responsibility and the privilege to go in there at night. I felt better and more comfortable because I felt like if people are right there with me, I feel the pressure a lot more so. Just with the presence of my lab mates and colleagues, it's just added on to the pressure because it would remind me of oh, like I need to not mess up in front of them or like I need to kind of in a way prove to them that I am worthy of this project. But that wasn't the case, right? It's, I've already mentioned, I would ask my postdoc or lab tech, whomever, for help if I needed help. And I wasn't really afraid of that. But nonetheless, I was trying to focus on completing this project and doing my best in it without focusing on the pressure and the expectations externally right and i feel like that can help a lot with at least focusing on the things you need to do or want to do 
and in your own pace, in your own kind of mindset, not with the mindset of you know other people's expectations and or whatever image, whatever person you're trying to become. If that makes sense, that seemed like a somewhat of a rant, but I do hope that makes sense. And if not, that's okay. And I apologize for that. Just you know, feel free to contact me if you really do want to hear me talk about this, or you want to hear some thoughts of mine. From maybe in another context, whatever the case may be, feel free to contact me. I'm always welcome to those talks. I mean, it's quarantine time still. Nothing's really changed all too much from 2020, as you know, sad as that may be, because everyone was thinking, oh, once the 2021 year comes, everything is gonna change for the better. And well, guess what happened in the first week, right? It's never gonna go as expected for the most part. Just keep an open mind for the most part. What I'm trying to say right there, and yes. Even though I say all this good stuff about me working towards the better in regards to not feeling like a phony and not constantly being burnt out and just putting in unnecessary work in order to become this person that I think I need to become and other people would probably want me to become, I still struggle with this very much so in one big area of my life, and that's my social slash dating life. And I kind of put those together because it involves. Things that are not academic or professional related, or kind of like even it's it's is personal related, but it's it's a social right. It's a social situation for the most part, and it's something I've always struggled with, even dating back to middle school, where you always have those friends or you see those people or guys in my case, like those the men, always getting the girls, and they always do the sports. They always are social and they talk with everyone and they're friends with everyone. And I'm here being the half Asian kid, or in their eyes, because I grew up predominantly in a white neighborhood and Hispanic neighborhood. I was just the Asian kid. I was no one special. I was just a chubby Asian kid, maybe with the bowl cut, whatever the case may be, the squinty eyes. Uh, it, it just really played a huge negative factor on my upbringing for the most part, and in my social, I guess, competency regarding just making friends, just talking to people, and even expressing myself. Just all of those things were affected by this, and it also built into my imposter syndrome regarding this kind of like social competency, and even my identities that are tied along with this social. Competency. I'm saying social competency a lot. <laughs> I don't know why. It's it's not a fun word to say. Anywho, how imposter syndrome affected this was in two areas. One was me being a man, just the whole kind of mindset and the expectations that goes along with that. And the second thing is my mixed race identity as being white Korean. So you often hear, at least with being white Korean or mixed race. Us halfies feel like we don't belong anywhere, at least within our ethnic groups. For me, I was always seen as the Asian kid by those who are not Asian, and I was always seen as the white kid by those who are Asian, especially within my Korean friend circle. I mean, was, I struggled a lot with that because you feel like you're not Korean enough or you're not white enough, and just it's so hard to try to fit into those skins where you're hanging out with your white friends or your other friends who are not Asian, and then you're hanging out with your Korean friends. It's so tiring as well. And one way I would try to work hard towards this is I would try to do a lot more Asian stuff because 
For me, I wanted to fit in with the Asian kids. And again, I would there was no Asian kids at my high school, so the majority of my Asian friends were from my Korean church that I went to. That was an hour, twenty minute drive away from my home. So every Saturday we would go there, right? Fun times. But yeah, I would try to fit in with the Asian persona or the Asian like skin, and the way I would do that. Was I would change up my style, so I would try to look up like K-popy or Korean men's, you know, fashion wear and whatnot. I would try to do my hair a certain way, and I would do stuff like I would download Kakao Talk on my phone, even though I never used it. I just downloaded it to feel Korean, and I would also do try to do Korean stuff, like I would watch Korean dramas, I would listen to K-pop, K-R&B, K-rap, anything Korean. I would try heavily to do, be, and I would, I didn't like it. Like I never really found joy or, or like any passions in them. Like when I think about it back then, like in this moment in time, like no, like、uh, yeah, maybe I enjoy some like K R and B. Like I, I like the music, but I don't feel passionate about that or like the Korean fashion wear. The only thing I will give props to that I am happy about got me started on my. Hairstyling journey. <laughs> I like I messed around with it, and when I look back in high school times, ooh, that what I thought was cool and you know stylish, like a, with an Asian male kind of、uh, air to it, who did not look good. When I look back, it was <laughs> too much, too much popping out of my head, and too much product, and I was so cringing. Ah, yeah. When I think about it, it, makes me cringe. But now I am way better at styling my hair. Minimally and just in a good stylish way, and I can say that objectively, in my opinion. <laughs> so yeah, I I do, I am happy about that. Like that's one thing that what came out of this Korean try hard phase that I was going through in high school. My hairstyle, for the most part, and I would say my overall like style. Like it got me, it got me thinking about my style overall in a good way. Like oh okay, I want to look presentable, I want to look good, and I want to feel good, right? Like I don't need to look good all the time, right? You don't need to get all these fancy clothes, but I just want to look and feel good, nonetheless. But yeah, when I try to be this Korean person in front of all of my friends, all the people I interacted with, it was so tiring. And then that just made me ignore my white counterpart, and especially just the whole mixed race identity struggle that I've always experienced. Just I never thought about that because I was thinking I'm just gonna be this Asian kid. I'm just gonna be this Korean kid. And sometimes I would hate being white or just hate being half Korean because I just felt like incomplete and that being Korean was better for me. And the fact that I can't change my blood, it's like it just frustrated me. Like I was one thing I would also do was I would stretch out my eyes. Every day, almost like not for like long sessions, but just constantly like stretch out my eyes so that they are squintier, like or more almond shape, and they're not like super round. I mean, I guess like, but that's not really important to say. Like, I was just nonetheless try to stretch out my eyes, just yeah, to look Korean or to look Asian nonetheless. It was so bad. It was so 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 bad. And I would try to learn Korean and、uh, yeah, again, do so many Korean stuff that was totally unnecessary and. Just a waste of time, and if anything, it burned me out, and it got me thinking. I remember why am I doing this? I remember in high school, I was like, "This is so tiring. Like, I don't care about this anymore." And then I was thinking, "I don't care about making friends." And then once that got into my head, 
yeah, that was the start of it all. Or at least that was one big push towards me becoming this lone wolf, this like lone person who would just be a hermit who would isolate himself. Because I was just so tired of trying to fit into the skin. So tired of having this pressure of becoming someone that I didn't want to be but thought I should have been. Right? It, it was so tiring. And for my case, I took the easy way out. And it's the wrong way out of just giving up and then giving up making friends and trying to be social in that regard. What also played into this was my male identity of just being a man. All these expectations of being a man. Like, it's so toxic, seemingly, at least, like with my friends, at least. I always thought they were the cool guys. Like, they were cool, like, you know, cool. They, they talked cool, they had this cool vibe to them, they were like the bad boys, but they were also fairly smart, they were good at sports, they were social, they got the girls, and I'm like, dude, this is what a guy is, this is what a man is, like, they're these popular, in a sense, fuckboys, but that's who I just saw, that's who I grew up with, those were my friends, and they were great friends, still are, they're, they are my friends, they're like, some of them are my closest friends. And it was just my problem. And I put the blame entirely on myself for feeling the pressure of trying to be like them and trying to earn their respect when they already probably just gave me their respect. They gave me the validation or just felt like it was already there naturally. But I personally, right, again, I'm blaming myself for not feeling that or for overlooking it and instead feeling this this phoniness that I am not like these, my, like my friends, I am not like them. And that instead I have to work hard towards becoming this seemingly fuck boy, but just overall this popular cool guy, right? And especially with athletics as well, just the whole male competitiveness, it's, it's toxic. It can be healthy, right? You can make it healthy. But sometimes when you think about that, whether it maybe it's due to social media, like you watched a video or you've seen a post, something like that. You can think that it applies to every other guy. Like in my triathlon club, it was not there whatsoever. No toxic masculinity, nothing like toxic competitiveness, nothing. But I just thought, oh, like all the guys are going to be competitive and that they're going to like shit on me because like I'm like the loser. I'm the slowest guy. And ooh, like I, I, I can't do this. And that was, you know, I'm, I was intimidated. I was ultimately intimidated. And in other cases, just my entire upbringing with my mother. She is a very old-fashioned Korean tiger mom, like born in the Korean War. She grew up very poorly and just had a harsh life, which is very understandable for her line of thinking and just this kind of discipline, just kind of tough it up, men don't cry sort of beliefs. And that's what she tried to push onto me. I had to become a man and a man doesn't cry. She said that literally. Like sometimes you hear your Asian friends or your just other people say that about their parents that they tell them these very like cheesy lines that you would probably hear from a movie like, oh, toughen up. You're just a, you're a man. Men don't cry. I hear that from my mom. And it was my mom, right? Supposedly, right? Allegedly, women are supposed to be the super emotional ones. They're supposed to be the ones in touch with their feelings. But no, I had my mom tell me this, to tell me to just toughen up. And my dad wasn't like that. I think it was because of a cultural difference, right? I think with American sort of uh, mindsets, you want to strive for something that you love to do, like something you're passionate about, but with the more Asian mindsets. And I don't know if this is applying to all Asian countries, but at least within the Korean mindset, you are wanting to strive for the success, right? Not for 
ultimately what is going to make you happy and what you love to do, but just something so you can have a good future, which is good. But with the mixture of this Korean mindset, like the traditional and the beliefs, alongside with growing up in the United States or just in California and having a white dad, those two just conflicted with each other because my dad would tell me actually, do something you love to do, but also do it so that you can make a good fortune, like make money, right? Live a good, comfortable life. He wanted that for me, but to also have a good job that I love and am passionate about. Then my mom would say, oh, you can only become doctor, lawyer, or dentist, right? And it's like, uh, what do I do? What do I do? I guess I'll try to love to become a doctor. I'll try to learn to do that, but that wasn't good. And with those kind of expectations, like as the man, it then conflicted with another case of expectations and pressure with the same situation of being a man coming from women. And it's not, I'm not shitting on the stuff said about men from women or even just other people in general about the whole toxic masculinity stuff. I know there's stuff in the news and in social media that there's these horrible men and that they use their own authority and they feel entitled for a lot of stuff that they deserve and that feeds into their ego and then other bad stuff is going to feed into that like trying to get as many women and then that leads to just emotionally hurting women and other people and it's just a whole slew of complex but shitty bad stuff and i understand that happens but because it's so 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 put out there which is good but to the point where it feels like every man is being targeted like just being a man in of itself is a stigma i feel so pressured to be whatever women think a man should be like being this open person being this vulnerable guy being the man who's just is seemingly on a leash for most because that's what i feel like i need to do for goodness sake sometimes a lot of times when i go walking when i see a, a, a woman walking on the sidewalk along with me I will go across the street so that I can make her feel safe. And I totally understand as a woman, you can feel vulnerable, you can feel defenseless, and you that can be scary. That can be very scary. And I am very thoughtful of that. And I don't have a problem with doing that, but I'm scared that I'm going to be labeled incorrectly and irrationally that I am this toxic, let's say rapist or molester or whomever, like whatever you want to call me, like some kind of criminal who's a man. I'm so scared of that. And then I try to be this open, vulnerable man, just whomever women like a man to be. But then I'm so scared then, oh, if I fuck up one time, they're going to look at me as a disgusting, entitled, toxic man. Oh, it's so heavily on my mind. And maybe to the guys out there, to the mans out there who listen to this, maybe you can relate to this because... We do care about women's issues and the feminism rights and all that kind of movements, all that stuff. It's so, so, so prevalent and we understand what's going on, especially with our own gender and the shit we do. But we feel like it's just so applied to every man, despite if they're good or bad. Like just every man is somehow bad and toxic. And that for some reason, they always need to work towards becoming this perfect man that women think they should be. And that's just so toxic in of itself because then we feel inadequate as a man, right? Whatever the new definition of a man is in whatever generation, we just feel so inadequate. And then we're so scared to be uh, called out, not just for being an imposter of a man, but 
with legal reasons like we don't want to be called out for being a rapist for molesting someone for sexually harassing someone when we had literally no intentions like if i say hey carol you look great today i'm so scared that maybe carol will start calling up hr for sexually harassing her i'm like what i just said you look great today i don't mean anything by it like what what's going on like i'm legit scared of that and it's i'm sorry if i'm repeating myself with this but it is a serious concern of mine and going along with that when i go on these dates even if the girl i'm seeing is gonna be or i know is wholesome i know is super understanding i'm still so scared that i'm gonna mess up i'm gonna say one stupid thing that i thought was like a funny joke maybe but then she'll be like oh you're actually a piece of shit like what are you trying to do like are you trying to be funny like are you just trying to get in my pants it's like no not every guy wants to have sex not every guy feels entitled to get as many girls not every guy is drunk enough with the privileges of being a man like i wish there is more discourse and awareness that men who are good for the most part are aware of the shit that men do we are aware of the entitlement and the privileges of being a man and we are doing our best at least i am doing my best to make up for it right like i said with the walking on the sidewalk scenario i will move to the side of the street i will go away i will go for your sake so that you feel safe because i want that and it's totally fine i don't care if i have to go walk like across the street it's no problem as long as you feel safe i will do it because i understand and i am in support right men are just oversaturated i know that and i understand that again i can go into this so much and talk about it at length regarding myself and just how how the whole world and we can even just talk about the united states how it's just oversaturated and polluted with some of these bad manly stuff right we don't have to go into it today but yeah i'm so scared about that and with all these expectations from my upbringing from my mother and to the what women say out there in the news and social media especially social media i have these expectations i feel like to become the perfect man and with that said i do feel like i am that superhero to the max imposter syndrome type because i'm just always striving to be superman chivalrous noble funny smart understanding compassionate right never cracking dick jokes just being funny but inappropriately right family family friendly i try so hard but then that doesn't leave no room it leaves no room for me to be me for me to express myself right when i'm on these dates and a lot of times actually from so many experiences when i go on these dates with these girls some i always approach them first in the date itself not as a date but as a hangout we're just going to get dinner get to know each other like any other friend like i'm going to treat you as my buddy and that's already error number one on my part i'm friendzoning myself right off the bat but because of this imposter syndrome regarding being a man i've already lost my chance with this girl because let me tell you this from later realizing this after speculation and talking to my friends about this like our conversations with this girl during the date they just wanted to hook up with me they, that's it that's it's as simple as that nothing wrong with that but i always fail to see that because 
I am always focused on being the perfect man for them, being someone they can be comfortable with. Yet they just wanted to hook up with me. I guess they felt comfortable right off the bat, I guess. But I mean, hey, and if the girl was serious with me or had interest nonetheless and didn't want to hook up, I would have just approached her in a friendly way. And then I, I can totally see how that can be a turnoff or maybe she feels like, oh, I'm not interested in her. And then things fall off and I never see her again. And then I would feel bad because, oh, did I do something wrong? Like, what happened? It affected me so much. And it, those are real life examples. Girls have just not wanted to talk to me again. Like, I will always question to my friends, is something wrong with me? Like, am I really like undateable? Like, is something wrong with my social skills? Because I always try to be friendly. I always try to be open. I always try to be vulnerable. Like, whatever a, a woman thinks of a man. And I always tr strive to be that. But then it doesn't work out. And it seems like I'm always just being a friend to them or something, or like I'm just so ignorant or oblivious. That's for the most part, like I am very oblivious because I don't think highly of myself, right? And that goes along with like the expectations and the pressure I feel as a, as a man too, as a person. I just think lowly of myself so that I can protect myself from being called out as an imposter. I can be protective of my own thoughts for feeling bad or feeling undeserving of the stuff that I deserve you know, that is the result of my own work and my own efforts. But yeah, it's a tough campaign. It's something that we're all dealing with in our own respects, but it does get better. Just you got to learn to try to take that wrench out. That's just so stuck in your gears. Like it's just so stuck, but it can get loosened up and you can pull it out eventually. Maybe it's just always there, but you can deal with it, maybe work around it. And there's these coping mechanisms that I use and that are, I don't want to say coping mechanisms. These are just like methods that I use and that I've heard people use in order to better deal with this sort of situation, with this kind of like line of thinking. And that's, and I already said it throughout the episode, to talk with someone, talk with a close friend, a family member, or maybe listen to a podcast like this one, or listen to any other podcast, YouTube channel, what have you. Instead of reading those articles, so the objective knowledge is good. It can provide clarity and better understandings, but I feel like that's what it does for the most part. In order to really look at yourself more deeply and to truly reflect yourself in a wider perspective, I feel like listening to someone who can relate to you or whom you can relate to is really good to do so. It can really provide you some insight regarding your own situation. And then not focusing on those self-doubting and undeserving thoughts that you have that goes along with imposter syndrome it's just not good and you gotta try hard to focus on something that is good for you or that you're trying to strive for in the case of let's say like research or athletics just focus on what you want to achieve do that only and try not to focus on the pressure of being an athlete don't focus on the pressure because i actually feel the pressure with this podcast like i always feel like oh like even with the people who are listening to me, even though it's not a whole lot of people, I need to do super good. Like I need a professional level episodes and content and structure and all that, but I can't fall into that. And it's led me to really overthink some topics and episodes. And I've had to re-record a lot of episodes for a couple hours because I was just always so pressured to have this high quality episode. And I, it's not that I don't want high quality episodes, it's just, it wasn't what I wanted. It wasn't something that I was proud of. And when I re-record episodes without the pressure and the expectations, 
I feel better about my episodes. Like, man, this is something I'm proud of. Like, this is something that I actually like in regards to like what kind of episodes I want. But yes, I mean, don't focus on those things again. Like, don't focus on those self-deprecating thoughts or those self-doubting thoughts. Just focus on the goal itself. If it's something objective, like within athletics, maybe in your career and such. And another thing that you can do, if you recognize that looking at social media or anything external that's triggering you, don't look at it as much. Or if you need to get rid of it, just uninstall the app. That's all you need to do. Like for me, I know that this is not related to imposter syndrome, but I know that even maybe if people find entertainment in watching those like Karen videos, not to, you know, put anyone on blast with the name Karen, like not all Karens are bad. Like, let's just stop that. Like these people who are over emotional and very irrational, I'll just say that, right? Irrational, over emotional people. I hate watching those. Make me feel cynical. Like I begin to think, like, oh, the human race is done for. Like, why are people so stupid? Blah 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 blah. Like, uh, like what is going on? I can't do that. So I purposely not watch those. Like, if I see anything remotely associated with those kind of、uh, topics and <laughs> just viral videos, I just completely ignore it. I don't like it. So you gotta do the same thing. If you know that watching these, let's say YouTube fitness channels, even if they're good, or no, not not. Let me say, retract that. There are good ones out there that are real, authentic, and they are open about stuff like their relationship with food, the real stuff. You know, breaking myths about the fitness world and those influencers on social media. They, those are good people, and there are good people like that. But there's also a ton of bullshitters out there who say, "Yeah, get six pack abs in six weeks. Like, yeah, this is what you have to do to look shred. Like, this is what you need. This V, what's it called? V cut? Yeah, like when you have that V line at your pelvis area. I like that look, but again, it it can be toxic. So don't look at those stuff, right? Find the things that you know is relatable, but also something that's healthy, like something that doesn't make you feel like you have these expectations or the pressure." But you gotta do your own reflections. You gotta recognize your own faults, right? There's it's okay to have the faults and weaknesses as well. Just embrace them. Say to yourself, it's okay. But overall, it's a practice. It has to be a habit that you have to get into. Like practice and build a habit of recognizing your own、uh, accomplishments, your own success, your own progress, so that you can say to yourself, yeah, this is something I am doing for myself. This is something that I did, not due to some external factor. Because we can heavily get drowned out by just all the bullshit, both with the external factors and the internal factors, most definitely. And I'm sure there's other methods out there for you to utilize for your own good. I'm just speaking from my own experience and from what I've heard from other people. And with that, I'm going to end this episode and future episodes with a segment that I want to try out, which is going to be called awkward advice because I am an awkward guy by nature, but in a good way, as I've been told by people. And with that, I'm going to have anyone send in their questions or situations for me to give advice on, just to drop that on ya. And y'all can take it for whatever it's worth. Maybe it's a penny, and hey, I'm I'm cool with a few shiny rocks here and there. I mean, why not? Why not take it for whatever it's worth? I'm gonna drop some advice on you. So welcome to the awkward advice segment at the end of the show. So first one 
I have is from a friend because I have no one dropping in these things yet. And I'll be reading this question from my friend. And they ask, what are some useful tips on reading body language from people? Settings can include meeting someone for the first time, when you're at a social gathering with them, with a bunch of other people, when you are arguing with someone, etc. And perhaps you can talk about reading facial expressions. Expressions? Oh, I don't know why I said that way. As well. Well, I'm not off of a good start because I'm becoming awkward with just my speech. But my advice, I mean, I'm a very oblivious guy. Like I've mentioned before, when I go on these dates with some of these girls, I mean, there's actually been a handful of them where I would just think that they're being nice and they just want to go on a date with me and I would just kind of like act like very friendly and buddy with them. But they actually wanted to just hook up and I'm like, whoa, like I didn't, I didn't know that. Like, and I couldn't read the air, I guess. And I couldn't tell by their like body language, like not, not their body language. Like how I picked it up was like what they're talking about and some of the suggestions I guess they were making because they would talk about like hookup stuff. And when I told my friends about this, they were like, oh, Joey, she wants to, um, she wants to get it on with you. I'm like, oh, really? Well, too bad. Like, I thought we could have been friends. <laughs> That's how it was. I wasn't really too focused on the whole hookup stuff. But, like, what helped me, I guess, from those experiences and other social situations, because I'm a very shy guy, is I can't really read body language like I think that's something that comes with time and experience like you gotta put yourself in those uncomfortable situations you just gotta put yourself out there and then maybe while in those situations be cognizant and be aware of people's body language to see what's going on and try and match it with what they say and the what you think this personality type is for this person but what I usually do is I First of all, understand that people like to talk about themselves. And it's not a bad thing. I just, I'm trying to get into the psyche and psychology of people in general and their behavior. So social behavior. Anyways, like I just have to understand people like to talk about themselves and that people are probably just, you know, depending on the situation, they may act a certain way. Like in a date, they're probably being shy too. Like, so you have to read into that or at least understand that that is, is a, something likely right, that the other person is feeling. So instead of like reading body language, because I don't have any experience with that, I'm so oblivious. Like if a girl touches my thigh, I'm like, oh, they're probably picking something up or I'll probably just totally ignore it because I don't think anything significant of it. And yeah, I just have to understand and think, you know, what is the person likely thinking about? How are they likely feeling in this moment of time? And usually it helps out a lot. Like if I'm in a date, I'll be conscious and very considerate towards the other person and I'll be very open and understanding. So with that as well, you can just start to learn, like, like I said, be cognizant of the other person, like just learn, like, what do they do? And especially how they say things and what they talk about, because that can be very suggestive. Like if they start talking about, you know, hooking up and, oh, are you a virgin? I can pick up instead of using body language, I can pick up like maybe this girl wants to get freaky. Who knows? Do the hanky panky. I don't know what's going to go on, but that's something I'm thinking about. And don't make it a cold hard fact. Just take it for what it is and just keep it on the back of your mind. Just be aware of it. Be flexible with your thinking. So that's why I have to say with that. Um, yeah, I don't know if it's helpful. I don't know if it's unhelpful, but I hope that is something you can use for your own life. Just again, kind of more or less try to understand the social behavior of people in general and 
as you interact with these people or if you're in this situation use context clues you know use what the setting is like use what the situation y'all are in and use what the person is saying how they're saying things what you think the kind of person they are just pick up on these context clues be your own sherlock holmes in a sense but yes that's all i have to say with that that's my awkward advice whether or not it's helpful or not whatever it may be but with that that's the end of the episode thank you all for staying along on this ride and thank you for listening till the end of the episode if you'd like to support me, just listen to this podcast and follow me on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other podcast platforms, and even on YouTube. And all you gotta do is search up the name Half of This, and you'll definitely find me everywhere, or for the most part. And you can also support me by sharing this with your friends and family who find this insightful, enjoyable, or simply want to laugh their butts off. Like I mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, this is not a purely comedy show, but I want to bring silliness and jokes and all that to this. So why not? I want people to laugh and have fun with this. And if you have any comments, questions, or topics that you'd like me to talk about in future episodes, or just want to drop in a, hey, Joey, what's going on? Maybe you want to talk to me. Maybe you just want to say hi. Contact me at my email at halfofthispod at gmail.com. That's halfofthispod at gmail.com. DM me on the podcast Instagram account. Now I have that actually, which is half of this. Or you can send me a text slash voice message on the anchor.fm forward slash half of this website. Whatever one is most convenient for you, you do it, king, queen, and you know, awesome person, ruler, or <laughs> whatever you want to be considered as. And again, thank you so much. And I'll talk to you next time on this Friday's upcoming morning tea episode. Woo woo. Hello. I don't know why I did that, but until next time, <laughs> goodbye.